Praise God. What a good God we serve. Serve a God that's faithful to us day in and day out. No matter what situation you find yourself in, you will always find God with you. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you, the Bible says. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. Ezekiel 33, 1 through 5. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. And we're going to flip over to Acts chapter 27. Read three verses here, then we'll get right into the word of God. 27, 9 through 11 says, Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already past, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Pastor, would you pray? Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. For a few moments today, I'd like to talk on the topic, within the walls but out of reach. Within the walls but out of reach. Paul, much like this watchman that was mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 33, had been given insight of the Lord. Paul told him that this voyage was, was going to be bringing rough seas and, and great loss and turmoil, but they didn't listen to him. They trusted the people who had been in the ship longer. They trusted the people who owned the boat. They trusted the, the shipmates and said, I'm not listening to a prisoner when they didn't realize they were in the congregation. They were in the midst of the, the presence of the man of God. In the middle of this journey, they find themselves in a very terrible storm. And it got so great that they began to take on water and they feared that they were going to go under. They began to count the cost and take the inventory of what was in the ship and what they could live without, they began to toss overboard. If it wasn't necessary, it wasn't staying. And certain members of the ship's crew, in a moment of panic, grabbed a hold of the anchors and went to just get rid of them because they're added weight. And Paul said, what are you doing? Without the, without the anchors, we will surely die. We will surely not make it. In moments of panic and desperation, we as humans have been known to make mistakes of throwing over something that we needed the most. It's a, just a hunk of iron, and it's weighing me down. Remove this anchor. Remove the chain holding the anchor and get rid of it. Get rid of the excess baggage, and it's added weight. But Paul says in 31, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. It's not, no, there's no coincidence that, that the natural realm here he's talking about took an anchor but in the supernatural in the in the spiritual realm of your life it's going to take an anchor in your life somehow for you to be saved 
the man of God warned of the dangers of this voyage, and then he warned of the consequences of cutting ties with the only anchor they had. And you can't throw an anchor over with the weight and expect to weather the storm. You can't throw over the things that are necessary to make it and expect you to ever come out the other side. The anchors are strategically placed, but they're never to be discarded of. Praise God. When setting on a out on a voyage or out on a trip or out on a mission, you will always undoubtedly have planned for what you would be needing on that trip. If you don't, uh, you, you, never mind. Whether it be hunting or hiking or, or camping or going on a vacation, you are, you're going to pack a bag. And at some point in time, you're going to think, I need this, this, this. I don't need that. I need two of those. I need this. And you're going to have a list. If you don't have a physical list, you're going to have a mental list. And you're going to start putting things in a bag. Whether it be sheep hunting, Brother Poyle, on Castle Mountain, Brother Mike, or whether it be going on a long trip, drive down to Kenai or something, you're going to plan for it. Any normal person in their right mind will put gas in the tank because they know they've got to make it from point A to point B. What you need on one trip may not be necessary on another, though. What you think you need on this trip may be a hindrance on your next trip. I've been on many hunting, camping trips with my father, with my grandpa, with my uncle, with my brother, with my friends, Mike and Kenny and people. I've been on many trips out there, but every trip was different. Every trip, I thought I had what I needed, but when I got to camp or I got to the mountainside, I realized I forgot something every single time, whether it's trail tape, Brother Mike, whether it's trail tape or a GPS, something always forgotten out of the bag. Often, though, it's the small overlooked items that become the key to life and death and the key to survival in many circumstances. For instance, if you set out into unknown and uncharted areas one of the most necessary tools and components to your trip will be a compass. But all too often, we don't think of the small things. I can't tell you how many times I ventured out into the woods without a compass. So many times I've been here before, I'm familiar with this area, and I just rely on self-knowledge to get me there and get me back. And many times I did make it back, no problem. But there were a few times where it took me a long time to find out where I was. A long time. And what looks like familiar grounds and what looks like something I've seen before quickly will become distorted and quickly unfamiliar when my vision became blurred or, or my vision became skewed. When someone spins you in circles and spins you in circles and blindfolds you and spins you in circles, you're still standing in the same spot. When you started, you didn't move. You're still there. All you did was turn around. But when you, when you take off that blindfold and you try to get your bearings, nothing looks familiar. Everything's moving, everything's different, and you begin to wonder which way's up, which way's down, which way was I headed, which way am I going now? And all it was was being turned around. Life tends to do that to us. It often tends us to get us to turn and turn and to spin in circles, and it blinds us with unfamiliar territories. And whatever situations that we've never seen before, and we become skewed in our own vision, and we become blind and skewed in perception of which way we should be going. You can, you can go from knowing where you're at to completely lost in one step. I recognize that tree. I recognize that trail tape we put. I recognize that marker. And you step past it one step, and you don't know where, where you were next. You, you don't recognize the terrain. You've been there a hundred times, but you don't recognize it. If you've ever been hiking in Alaska, anywhere in the world, 
You understand what I'm saying? Because some trails look just like other trails, and some peaks look just like other peaks where I've been before. Some trails I've hiked in Tennessee, and I thought I'd been here before. No, I was thinking about a trail in Alaska. It looks the same at, at a moment when I'm completely confused. And many people I've heard speak about false peaks, Brother Plale. Lazy Mountain's known for it. You get going, you think, there's the top. That's where I'm headed. And you get there, and all of a sudden you crest over the peak, and there's another one. I thought for sure I was at the top. I thought for sure I was at my destination. But false peak after false peak will continue to let yourself down, and you'll start to doubt the knowledge of the terrain. You'll start to doubt that you ever knew where you were headed in the first place. Praise God. And the thing is, when you start seeing false peaks in your life, you start to question things you once knew. You start to question things that you once believed in. You start to question things that you once knew as solid doctrine, as solid faith. And I don't know if I need to do that anymore because it just doesn't seem to be hitting home right now. It just seems a little excess. It seems like a little much. It'd be easier to turn around at the second peak instead of continuing up to the third peak. It'd be easier to stop where I'm at than to continue on and get where God wants us to be. It's just like that, things we once knew and once believed, we begin to question and let go of. Praise God. All because of drifted vision. Bear with me. I promise you I'm going somewhere. Hallelujah. You can lose your depth perception. And what once looked like a defined line in the sand is now blending in and a little more. And it becomes harder to determine what's right and what's wrong. And the less you begin to see, the less you begin to feel. And what used to drive you to your knees now was just a good sermon and I go about my business. And what used to make me run to an altar now makes me slip out the back door and completely avoid the altar, leaving as empty as I came. What, made, what used to make me come to church now and get deliverance now convinces me that one more service at home won't really make a difference. <laughs> and vision gets blurred and things that we once believed in become skewed and we, we, decide, we decide to desensitize ourselves from sin, allowing ourselves to drift closer and closer to lines that we once drew in the sand. We better know our surroundings, church. We better know where that line is, church. Praise God. We better know what we are willing to get ourselves into because there's coming a day when we will have, when, when, excuse me, there's coming a day when he will have given humanity its last taste of mercy. To wake up tomorrow knowing it's, I'm too far gone is one mistake that I don't want to make. A few years ago, Brother Mike and I were on Castle Mountain. I'll tell you a little story here. I know we're not shouting. That's okay. Please, please listen, though. I promise you I'm going somewhere. A few years ago, Mike and I were on Castle Mountain. We were going up to go moose hunting and sheep hunting. Same trip. He was going for sheep. I was going for moose. We didn't see any moose. On the first day, we were going to go up to Castle and go up and go sheep hunting. Well, the first day became pretty long. We ended up setting camp at the base. And the next morning, we got up to go. Won't even talk about the bear that ripped through our tent. Yeah, that was a great night. But anyways, we get up at 5 in the morning to go up Castle Mountain. And we decide... We're going to stop here at the base where the rocks begin to start. I don't know. It's like 3,000 feet already, and maybe not that much, but it's pretty high. And uh, what is Castle Mountain, 7,000 feet to the top? Six? Yeah. Might as well be a mile and a half to me. Forget that. Yeah. Anyways, Mike wanted to go all the way to the top. It's very rugged. If you've ever been to Castle Mountain, if you haven't, it's, it's almost straight up and down rock face pretty much the whole mountain. Well, Mike wanted to go up the, the rest of the rocks at the top, and I said, no, thank you. You go right ahead. 
I'm going to stay down here, and I'll glass from this flat area, and if I see something, I'll shoot you a text. I said, okay. So he goes on up. I'm watching him. 30, 40 minutes later, he disappears into the rocks. I can't see him no more. And I go to shoot him a text of a sheep I had just seen, and my phone's dead. I don't know how, but my phone was dead. So it's only, I don't know, 9 in the morning. So I was like, well, the best thing I can do is I'm going to hike back to camp. I'm going to set my phone on the charger on the wheeler, and then I'll hike back up and shoot him a text. That way I still have battery and everything's good. Well, this sounded like a great plan because I've been there many times. I turned around said, there's camp. I'm hiking back down, and I totally missed camp. I'm like, how did I do that? I've been here a thousand times. So I looked all over the valley for that camp, couldn't find it. Went back up the mountain to where I could see again. Said, nope, that's where it was. Went back down. I did this three different times, got completely lost, never found camp. And that evening, I was starting to worry because I wasn't finding camp. I didn't have water. I didn't have food. I didn't have provision. It was supposed to be a short hike, and it wasn't a short hike. I began lost, and I, what I once knew as, as, as camp was not camp. A little while later, Brother Mike and I finally found each other in the evening, I was within 100 yards of camp the whole time. I was right there. Didn't know it, though. It looked familiar, but I couldn't seem to find the game trail to camp. I searched all day long, and in panic, I began to overlook keys that would have gotten me home. And that happens in life. You begin to overlook keys and overlook little things that God's pointing back to safety and back to an altar and back to the house of God, back to the safety of camp. You can get to right within the walls of camp and be completely out of reach of, of his mercy. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. There was no question in my mind if I could survive that area. There was no question. I've been there many times. It was familiar territory. But something I didn't plan on was being within the walls of safety and completely unfamiliar with the territory. And the longer we allow ourselves to be desensitized by sin and the things of this world, the things within the walls will become unfamiliar to us. The drawing of the Spirit will no longer draw us. The Bible said, if I be lifted up, I will draw you. But if I'm no longer lifting him up, I won't be drawn to an altar no more. I could be within the walls of safety and completely out of reach of the preacher's grasp of the word of God that's coming forth. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. How often in life do we set out on journeys and set out on missions and even just set out in mundane day-to-day -day tasks and not think about the provision we need? And not think about making sure our vision is clear. And not making sure the first thing we did in the morning was realign our vision with someone. How, how often do we do that for real? Every one of us is, falls to that. We get up in the morning, we're busy, we're, we're frustrated, we're stressed already about life. And we continue into the same path we were in because it's familiar territory. Within feet of an altar and still miss the rapture. That's what happens when we become blurred and skewed in our vision and we don't daily lay down and daily pick up the cross and daily touch the throne of God. If I don't continue every single day, I will be within feet of an altar and miss the rapture. Praise God. Paul was a prisoner. And along this journey, he was heading to Italy. Many prisoners along this ship and they find themselves in horrible storm waters being tossed by waves and tossed around at the mercy of the sea and the wind. And, and they're weighted down. As a storm grows worse, they begin to realize the ship is going to go down if we don't lighten this load. How often do we carry things around in life? And if I don't let it out, if I don't get rid of the little baggage, the little things that are weighing me down, I'm going to go down with the ship. 
It may be something trivial and small, but the more I hang on to the little things and the more I hold on to the things that are just beneath the surface, uh, it may look like calm waters. It may look like everything's perfect on top, but just below the surface, there's rocks. Just below the surface, there's danger. Just below the surface, there's something that only you know is happening in your life. Uh, there's something that just only you can see in God. And the thing is, Paul said, don't throw away the anchors. Throw them out now. We're going to hit the rocks if we don't. Uh, you got to have a man in God in your life that says, stop it, what you're doing. Throw the anchor out. Uh, you're about to drift aboard. You're about to drift out of, out of, out of course. Uh, if you don't listen to the man of God, we'll toss over the anchors uh, with the weight, and we won't know when we crash. Praise God. Amen. They begin to toss over items and toss over food that they had thought they wouldn't need anymore and toss over things. It's in Acts chapter 27, if you don't believe me. It's there, I promise you. Read it. And the thing is this, when you are drifting at, at sea, if you've ever been in a, in a boat and you're drifting and you're at the mercy of the sea, the last thing you want to see is rocks. The last thing you want to be coming into contact with is big rocks because they'll take you under, I promise you that. They'll take you under. Rocks can sink you when you thought you were unsinkable. Things just below the surface of your heart, the things that no one else can see but you, they can take you under. And if you've got something under the surface of your heart today, I urge you to find an altar. I urge you that since you're within the walls of confinement here today, and you're within the walls of safety, and you're within the reach of the preacher, and you're in with the, within the reach of the Holy Ghost that does move and tug at your heart, uh, can I please, please plead with you today that if you've got something below the surface, uh, don't start throwing anchors overboard. Don't start throwing over your prayer life. Don't start throwing over your fasting life. Don't start throwing over your tithing and your offering because I just can't handle it right now. If I were you, I'd get a hold of an anchor of God, a word from God, and I'd say, oh, if the ship goes down, I'm going with it. I've got to hold on. I've got to hold on. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. How often are we sitting within the confines of the safety of the harbor, yet we still go under? If you've ever been to Seward or Whittier or Valdez in the middle of the winter and the boats that got left and didn't get winterized, they'll be covered with ice. I mean, feet of ice on the boat from, from the waves and from the rain and the snow and everything just beating on it. And I've seen there in Valdez and once in Seward, I've seen boats that have sank in the harbor within the confines and safety of a harbor master watching, within the safety of the walls that block the waves, and yet the ship somehow went under. Because of the weight that got allowed to stay on board. Because of the weight that was allowed to remain. You can't come into the house of God and allow the weight of the world to remain on your shoulders. You can't come into the house of God and allow the weight of your sin, the weight of your past, the weight of decisions that you're going to have to make keep you from reaching the throne. You can't afford to think about those things while God is trying to get into your thinking. You can't afford to hold on to yesterday when God is drawing you to tomorrow. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Just like the story of Judas. He was one of the disciples. No doubt he had seen God do many miracles. I heard someone recently talk about this here. No doubt he had seen many people healed, many people delivered. He had walked side by side with Jesus, side by side with the Master. 
Oftentimes probably helped each other up off the ground. Oftentimes probably hugged each other, love you. Oftentimes right there side by side, talking friend to friend. Oftentimes he was a friend. The Bible says he called Judas his friend. But Judas, something got in his heart. Something weighed him down. Judas sat at the table with Jesus. You imagine sitting at the table with Jesus Christ himself. Your hand dips in the basket. I can imagine it brushing against the wrist of Jesus. That close to the master and still so far away from Jesus' reach. Can you imagine being that close to the master and you're still so far from his reach? Imagine being best friends with your pastor, yet not letting him pastor you. Imagine being best friends with, with your pastor's wife. But when she comes to you and says, don't do that. That's not good for your soul. Don't you tell me what to do. I've got stuff in my heart that I'm taking care of. We can't afford to let things reside in our hearts when there's a master in our presence. We can't afford to hold on to things that we think are essential. And they're going to take us down before the journey ever makes its destination. Praise God. Praise God. Judas, your eyes met mine when we touched our hands in the basket. Judas, Judas, your guilt is all over your heart. With a calling, it's all over you. You ever been in the presence of God and you just can't help but wear what's on your, on your emotions all over you? You can't hide it from God. You can't hide it in the presence of Jesus. Imagine Judas. Judas, you kissed me in the garden and I called you my friend. Why do you feel so close yet so out of reach, Judas? You can sit within arm's reach of an altar and still harbor resentment. You can sit within hearing distance of the preached word of God and still miss the opportunity to repent. Praise God. Just because you're within the walls of safety does not mean you're safe today. Just because you're in the house, it's not enough. Just because you sit on the front row does not mean you're saved. Praise God. Amen. You got to know what's inside your ship. You got to know what's inside your heart. You got to know what you can take and what you can't take on this journey. You got to know what to lay down and what to hold fast to. Weights and anchors. You better know what's a weight and you better know what's an anchor. If I come into the house today and the preacher doesn't preach right to my situation and the singer doesn't sing the song that ministered to my spirit and I thought they should have done it this way but the atmosphere was like this and I just, it just wasn't home to me. It just didn't feel right. So I sink into the back and I sink into my seat and I just let church go and let it go and I'm going to come next Sunday, no problem. And I just go through the mundane and I don't let God reach down into my situation and tear down walls and tear down barriers, and tear down things that I built up. Oh, it's not a good place to find yourself within the walls and within the reach of God and be completely out of touch, be completely out of the will of God. Don't let something get a hold of your thinking in the middle of service. Don't let the singers off key begin to make you wonder in your mind. Don't let that become something that you focus on. Praise God. You can still be within the walls of safety and have walls up of your own, of rejection in your own heart. You can hear the preached word of God and never let it in. 
I've come with a direct word from the Lord today to somebody. There are weights and there are anchors in your ship. And you better do some inventory check. You better start to examine your own life and your own prayer life and your own walk with God. And realize what's got to go if I'm ever going to make it. What's got to go if I'm ever going to make it. Had Jonah remained in the ship, everybody in the ship would have drowned. I can't afford to let you go under with me. I can't afford to take your brother down with me. I've got got to do what God wants me to do. I've got to let weights out and I've got to let anchors sink in. If you think you can make it on your own, please cut ties with me. I don't want to go down because someone doesn't want to let go of an a, of a weight. I don't want to take you down because of something in my heart. Praise God. Praise God. Are you content with what's in your boat? Are you content coming service to service to service and never changing? Are you content coming to service and never visiting an altar? Are you content sitting in the back? Are you content sitting in the front but never allowing God past your point of vision? Praise God. Zacchaeus was up in a tree because he wanted to see who was this Jesus they talk about. And Jesus said, ah, you're in a tree. Come down. I'm going to go to your house today. Because he recognized somebody wanted to see me. Somebody in the entire crowd that was thronging him wanted him to see them where they were at, praise God. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. And Judas, after he sells Jesus out, climbs up in a tree. And you can hear the mercy of God crying from the cross. Judas, get off the tree. Judas, get down. Don't do it. Judas, don't make that mistake. I'm on the tree for you. What I'm doing is going to bear what you can't bear. Don't start to think that you can bear the weight of your own sin alone. You can't bear it alone, but you can bear it at an altar. You can bury it at an altar. Don't think you've got to hold on to your past, because the past will take you under. I fully believe that Judas, had he repented, had he climbed down from that tree and came to God and said, I'm so sorry, I sold you out. Will you forgive me, Jesus? I fully believe that Jesus would have forgave him and still went to the cross for your sin and Judas's sin. Oh, don't make the mistake of coming within arm's reach of mercy and letting go. Don't come within arm's reach of God's forgiveness and decide that you're not worthy of it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may have sold out your relationship to Jesus, but it's not too late. You may have sinned bigger than you could even possibly imagine your own mind thinking you could ever go. You may have completely let yourself down, let your family down, let your friends down, let everybody around you down. But I can tell you one person who will forgive you, one person who will never leave you, one person who won't hold that against you. His name is Jesus Christ. And he said he shall save his people from their sins. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then would I heal from heaven and I would heal the land and I would forgive their sin. Praise God. Praise God. I'm coming to a close here today. How could I reach in the cup with him and still sell him out? How could I do that? There's no hope for me. I believe in the mercy of God, yes, but not for what I've done. I believe God can forgive you, but you don't know what I did. 
I myself went many years with that skewed vision. Many years I went thinking I could never make it to heaven, but I wasn't going to take somebody with me. God forbid that lie ever sinks into your mind. You can make it to heaven. You can be forgiven. You have not gone too far. Praise God. The grace of God is bigger and it's broader than anything you could have ever done. You may have completely failed God, but he says, I'll never, ever give up on you today. Praise God. Stand across this house. Praise God. Hallelujah. There's a difference between humility and complete delusion that the devil sends. You're right. You don't deserve mercy. You're right, I don't deserve mercy. But God wasn't in the weighing of who deserves it business. He said, yeah, you don't deserve it, but I love you. I love you, and I want to forgive you, and I want you to make it. I didn't create you for nothing. I didn't create you to watch you walk away. I created you so I could forgive you. I went to Calvary because I know your sin was great. I know what you did was big, and nobody else could take it away. That's why he came to this earth. That's why he set out on a mission. I'm going to come forgive you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to forgive. He said, I'll forgive. Come unto me, all who are heavy laden. Praise God. Don't let the devil convince you it's too late. Brother Brian, you don't know what I did. You're right, and I don't need to know. God sees all, and God wants to forgive all. Come unto me, all who who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest under your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It may may look like your life is over. It may look like your situation has zero potential to ever come forth and ever come out of what you've been in. But I'm here to tell you today, let me remind you of verse 23 and verse 24 of that same chapter of Acts. Paul told the men, for there stood by me this night the angel of God whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. God was telling Paul, your situation may seem dark. You may be on the storms of the sea and at the mercy of the water, but I can tell you there's purpose in your situation. There's purpose in the storm you're going through. I've got to get you from here to there. I've got to get you through this storm. And he didn't put you in the middle of the storm for you to drown. He didn't put Peter on the water for him to walk and drown. He said, I'm going to be with you wherever you go. I'm going to take care of you. If you've got something in your heart today, these these altars are open. Make an altar at your pew. Make an altar wherever you want to make it. But don't leave this house within within the walls of the confinement of the house of God and leave out of reach. Oh, 